Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are spending part of your Friday evening with us as we are just over 24 hours away from the playoffs returning to Jacksonville, Florida. The first playoff game in five years, only the fifth home playoff game in team history. And yep, for the first time in 28 seasons of Jaguar football, a prime time home playoff game tomorrow night, 8-15, between the Jaguars and the Los Angeles Chargers. As you can imagine, we have a ton to get into tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We have a couple of former Jacksonville Jaguars that will join us this evening. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also hear him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. My buddy Leon Searcy, he of the hype video last week prior to the Titans matchup. We'll get Leon on to talk Jaguars and Chargers. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. In the 9 o'clock hour, how about former Jaguar offensive tackle Todd Fordham, also a former Florida State Seminole. We'll talk a little Florida State with Todd Fordham but by and large, it'll be all Jaguars, all Chargers. So Leon Searcy and Todd Fordham. Tonight, we will crunch the numbers as well with my man Ben Lindsay of Pro Football Focus. He of PFF.com. We'll talk with Ben about every angle of this Jaguar-Charger matchup tomorrow night. And finally, coming up in about 45 minutes or so, right about 8.45-ish, we will go to Los Angeles, California. Nick Cothrell standing by of chargerreport.com. And we will talk Mike Williams. And we will talk what the injury to Mike Williams means for the Los Angeles Chargers as he has officially been ruled out of tomorrow night's game. So we got a ton to do. Again, let's dive right into it. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. I don't pretend to know the inner workings of the Los Angeles Chargers roster like I do the Jaguars. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods and say that I am in-depth knowledge of the Los Angeles Chargers. What I do here on Hacker After Dark is I think I know enough about the Chargers to speak intelligently about them. Some of you, Denmark, might disagree with that, but I'd like to think I can speak a little bit intelligently about other teams. But what I do is I go to Los Angeles and I bring you points of view from the guys and gals, for that matter, that cover these teams on a daily basis. You've already heard from Sean Merriman this week, a former All-Pro 
for the Los Angeles Chargers. You heard from Daniel Popper of The Athletic, who covers the Los Angeles Chargers. And like I said tonight, Nick Cothrell, ChargersReport.com, which is part of Sports Illustrated. And in saying that, what I've learned is this. The fan base of the Chargers, the media of the Chargers, think this Mike Williams injury is a big deal. That's why it's one of the big deals of the night tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Mike Williams is their field stretcher. Mike Williams is the guy that opens up everything underneath for Keenan Allen, Gerald Everett, Austin Eckler, Joshua Palmer, you name it. And the fact that Mike Williams will not be available, again, don't take my word for it, just go online. Google Mike Williams or or search Mike Williams on Twitter. You'll see Charger fans losing their mind. You'll see the media losing their mind about the fact that he got hurt in a meaningless game last week. Brings me to Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. What an awful week for Brandon Staley. You know what? It's one thing to play your guys in a meaningless game. Heck, Doug Peterson did it. Remember that against Houston? What did the Jaguars have to gain by beating the Texans? You can say they kept their wild card hopes alive. You can say, well, a win over Houston would allow them to have tied Tennessee to get in. Come on. Jaguars was a meaningless game against the Houston Texans. But no catastrophic injuries took place. Nobody missed any time by playing in that Houston game. You cannot say that now for the Los Angeles Chargers. As Mike Williams, in a meaningless game last week against Denver, went down with a back issue and is now probably out for the remainder of the year. Here is where Charger head coach Brandon Staley made a big mistake, and here is why Charger head coach Brandon Staley from what I've been told and from what I also believe could potentially be in trouble if the Chargers lose here in Jacksonville tomorrow night. You play Mike Williams, he gets hurt. All right, go to the podium and own up to it. Say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have played my guys. That's on me. That's my bad. That's my mistake. That's my error. If you do that, the conversation goes away. But instead, all week long, getting ready for the Jaguars, when the L.A. media has talked to Brandon Staley, he has doubled and tripled down. Nope, I wouldn't change anything. I like the approach we had going into Denver. Oh, Mike Williams is scheduled to be back at practice this week. We hope to have him back by the end of the week. Mike Williams is going to make the trip to Jacksonville. We're going to test him out pregame, and we're going to see what happens. That was yesterday, by the way. That's what the head coach of the Chargers said yesterday. Will Mike Williams make the trip to Jacksonville? Yes. And we'll test him out pregame. Maybe the most indicting part of this all is yesterday, they were asked, the Charger media asked Coach Staley out in L.A., why do you not have Mike Williams at practice? Well, because it's not about the reps at this point. It's about the rest. That's a direct quote from Brandon Staley. It's not about the reps. It's about the rest. This was yesterday. 
then what on this planet are you doing if that's your mindset? If it's not about the reps, it's about the rest. Why was he in there against Denver? You're talking out of both ends, man. You're trying to CYA. This is a young coach. Denmark said it during the show, and it's something I agree with. This is a young coach that stepped in a pile of it by getting Mike Williams hurt. And sometimes when you step in a pile of it, brother, you just got to go to that hose out in the front yard and hose it off. Nope. He's trying to do everything but that. He's making this excuse and that excuse and saying Mike Williams might come back. It is not a good situation. And apparently, from what I was told, the Charger players found out Mike Williams wasn't going to play when he wasn't at the airport today. When they're heading to the airport or either on the tarmac getting ready to take off is when they found out that they would not have their star wide receiver. I bet that was an interesting six-hour ride here to Jacksonville. Good grief. So not a good situation. Having said all that, the fact that Mike Williams is not playing, I do believe is a big deal. I see where Justin Herbert's quarterback rating is 96 with Mike Williams in the lineup. It drops to 88 when Mike Williams is out of the lineup. The Chargers record is overwhelmingly better win-loss-wise with Mike Williams in as opposed to when Mike Williams has been out. But one thing is very clear for Jaguar fans, Jaguar media, and obviously the football team. This is still Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Gerald Everett. Joshua Palmer's had a nice year. DeAndre Carter. They still have talent on that football team, and a lot of it. Just because Mike Williams is not going to play, to my knowledge, they are still going to play the football game tomorrow night. The Jaguars better come ready to play, man. The Chargers, one of two things is going to happen with the Los Angeles Chargers. This is either going to break them or it's going to be something they rally around. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I think you're going to find out pretty quickly if it breaks them or if it's something they rally around. But if Brandon Staley loses tomorrow night, he might be out of a job. So potentially you have a coach in the first round of the playoffs here in Jacksonville that absolutely fumbled and bobbled the last week so badly that there is legitimate talk that he better win tomorrow night or he's on the hot seat. To the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of two things is going to happen tomorrow. I'm sure you like that analysis. That's breaking it down for you. They're either going to win and their season's going to continue or they're going to lose. Let's look at both angles. Let's say worst case scenario. Let's say they lose. Let's say they lose tomorrow night. That would suck. Not going to sugarcoat it. That would suck. That would sting. That would be getting kicked in the solar plexus, as Gordon Soli used to say back in the day on Florida Championship Wrestling. But once the pain goes away, a week, two weeks down the road. You look back on 2022, 2023 as the start 
of what I think is going to be dominance in the AFC South. You'll look back on the win over Baltimore, the win over Dallas, sweeping Tennessee, winning in prime time in the Big Apple. And it will be a lot of really, really good memories. I don't think a loss tomorrow night will overshadow everything happening this season that was good. It'll hurt. Not saying it won't hurt. But as we've talked about, this season has already been an overwhelming success. What if they win tomorrow night? Well, then that's a different animal. If they win tomorrow night, and again, they are a home win away against a team that just lost one of their five best players. A home win away against a team that will not have one of their five best players due to injury. And if they win tomorrow night, all of a sudden, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who won four games in the last two years combined, will be two wins away from the Super Bowl. That's astounding. They were 3-7 and not that long ago. You win a home game tomorrow night, and three and seven becomes two wins away from the Super Bowl. What a scene it's going to be. You better dress warm. It's going to be chilly out there at TIAA Bankfield. Don't really think that's going to have an effect one way or another, positive or negative, between a team from Jacksonville and a team from Los Angeles. Neither team is really used to playing in the cold. But certainly, uh, it will be one of the colder games that we've probably had here in Jacksonville. But I still believe it'll be a great scene. I cannot wait for it. Back-to-back primetime games. Of course, you'll have Al Michaels and Tony Dungy on the television side. We'll have it for you right here on the radio side. Frank Frangie. Tony Baselli, Jeff Lagerman, Bucky Brooks on the sideline. Our pregame coverage will begin tomorrow afternoon, roughly about 3 o'clock. And we will. Yes, we will. Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and yours truly. We will have a fifth quarter. Two hours after the Jaguars and the Chargers go final. Probably around 1 a.m. or so Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah, if we win, Trevor, it'll be an amazing show. If we lose and I got to come in here from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., that will not be amazing, but I will be here anyway because I'm a company guy and I'm fired up, win or lose. I will be here for the people of Jacksonville to either celebrate with you or mourn with you. Jaguars and the Chargers tomorrow night. No Mike Williams. The Jaguars will have all of their guys, you would think. Agnew was questionable. Sheriff was questionable. Trevor's questionable, but Trevor's been questionable the last six weeks. I think all those guys are going to play. Again, we'll go to Los Angeles coming up in about a half an hour. Nick Cothrell, Charger Report. What does the loss of Mike Williams mean for the Los Angeles Chargers? <coughs> Excuse me. Coming up next, Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. It's a Friday night in the city of Jacksonville. 
We're glad you're with us. Leon Searcy next. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Now. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. The Jaguars and the Chargers. Saturday night, 8-15. Of course, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that's played many playoff games in his career, including many playoff games in a Jaguar uniform. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. That's my buddy, Leon Searcy. Leon, how we doing, man? Man, I'm doing great, bro. Boy, you know how to keep a secret. I thought you and I had a pretty good relationship, and I wake up Saturday morning, and the official Jaguar Twitter handle tweets out one of the better hype videos I've ever seen. And who is the star of that video? None other than Big Leon Searcy. Man, what a video. What was the responses you were getting towards that thing? Well, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I want to thank the Jaguars for giving the opportunity. They kind of, they, they wanted to, someone to do the video. They had venom and malice for the Tennessee Titans, and no one fits that category more than I am for, for what they did to us in 2000, the AFC Championship game. So, man, I had a great, de- I had a great deal, uh, had great fun doing it. It was a big game. It was a, uh, it was an all-in game for the Jaguars, and I just felt. You know, I, I was glad to be a part of the fact that everybody enjoyed the video, nothing but positive responses from it, and that the fact that, that the Jaguars got the victory and won the AFC uh, AFC South Division off of it. It was a great video, and, and congratulations to you and all the video staff, the digital staff over there with the Jaguars for, for putting that together. It was awesome. All right, you've been in that stadium as a player when there were some incredible scenes Monday night football against Miami, the playoff games against Miami and Tennessee. Leon, that game, that stadium, this city last Saturday night, that reminded me of the late 90s. You know what, Hack? I I was at the game, and it reminded me of, you know, it reminded me of, of two games, actually, that I played in. It reminded me of that Monday night football game against the Steelers with the uh, the blocked field goal return for a touchdown, where the, the, where the, the whole crowd erupted. And it reminded me of the Miami Dolphin game, playoff game, when we won 62-7. to I mean, the fans were into it. It was a big win. And I think the way we get style points for the way we won the game, you know, with uh, Rashad Jenkins with the strip fumble pick six, I mean, with the strip fumble for six, uh, that was just classic. If you if you could have heard how that stadium roared when uh, when Josh Allen picked up that ball and returned it for a touchdown, it was just freaking crazy. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. Leon, you know, look, there are a lot of positives, and we're going to get to the positives. Certainly going to look ahead at the Chargers. The Jaguars won last Saturday despite the offense. The offense was not good in the second half, and quite frankly, the offense – was pretty bad in the fourth quarter. Do you chalk that up to a great Titan defense? Do you chalk that up to issues on the Jaguar offense? What were your thoughts on that? Well, listen, I, I chalk it up that the Tennessee Titans uh, are, are, are a prideful team. you got to remember, this team was uh, – the they won the division last year. They were the number one seed last year. And here it is, this upstart Jaguar team that wants to come and take their crown. I mean, I even tweeted it. 
because uh, I was getting frustrated at the fact that this team seemed kind of uh, uh, pedestrian, especially on the offensive side of the ball. The defense kept us in the game again. Uh, so the so the Titans defense went all in. We had to we had to scrape uh, we had to scrape, bite, chew, fight our way to get first downs. I mean, they've got a solid front four. They've got a solid front four that can get after it pretty good to stop you on the run and get after the passer. So I mean, we had to earn our stripes uh, 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 that last Saturday night. So no, it was a game that we had to earn. We earned, we earned the right to win that game because of the way we performed um, defensively. Uh, but the the offense is going to have to do uh, a more stellar job uh, if we're going to move forward in the playoffs. Leon, another game has come and gone, and another time the Jaguars were trailing and came from behind. You go back to the Baltimore game, the first Tennessee game, the Dallas game, now the second Tennessee game. I mean, trailing uh, by two possessions or more even at times in all these games – and, Leon, they're finding ways to win. They're either outscoring the opponent or the defense is coming up with big plays. And we go back to that word belief that you and I have talked so much about. This team, when they fall behind, there is absolutely no panic whatsoever. Uh, no, no, it isn't. And I, that lets you know that this team is maturing and growing up right before our eyes. Uh, that was my concern when they, when they had the five-game losing streak. A lot of the, a lot of that was self inflicted. The reason why they were losing games, they were always close, but they always would do something that would cost the football games. Now they've matured, and they understand. There's, and there's no quitting this team. They, they continue to fight all the way through, and that lets you know that uh, Doug Peterson has his he has his fingerprint on this team, on this franchise. Where these guys, they they believe no matter what where they are, what deficit they may have, that they can come back and win games. Now that's going to be it's going to be crucial coming into the playoffs um, that, the, you know, you don't use that same mechanism coming into the playoffs because I firmly believe that the team that starts fast and finishes fast is the ones that usually win the playoffs because everything is ramped up. Everything is hyped up. The speed of the game, uh, the velocity of the game, the hits of the game, uh, the physicality of the game is going to be ramped up in the playoff times. And I'm just hoping that this team is able to respond because don't take for granted the fact that you beat down the Chargers during the regular season. I understand that they're coming in. They're a lot healthier when, when we play them. And they'll be ramped up. We'll be ramped up. And uh, let's see what happens. Former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Leon Searcy. Leon, the playoffs officially begin this weekend. And there is not a lot of postseason experience on this Jaguar roster. But the game last week was a win-or-go-home scenario if the Jaguars lose that game with the win and the way it played out over the weekend, Miami winning, the Jaguar season would have ended if they would have lost to Tennessee. Does the knowledge of last Saturday and what the Jaguars learned in a situation like that, will that help them this Saturday night? Well, listen, I'm, in my opinion, the Jaguars are playing with house money, Okay. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe that the Jaguars are probably a year, a year ahead of schedule as far as development goes. And now that you're in the tournament, you know, let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens if we've got 70,000 fans at our house 
and we're playing efficient football on both sides of the ball and special teams and everything like that. Let's see what happens when the San Diego Charge, I mean, with the Los Angeles Chargers have to deal with the crowd noise uh, on offensively. You know, the hearing, how is that going to help us when we're, you know, when it's third and long? How's it going to help us when it's third and long or when they're in passing situations? Gives us a clear cut advantage because most of the time they're going to go silent count. Let's see what happens if we get up 14 nothing. I mean, all these different variables um, are in our favor. Uh, not because we simply, not because we've beaten them before, but because we're home. And, we, and we, the one thing you know about the NFL is you protect your house. You have got a clear advantage at your house. Everything's uh, convenient for you. You got your fans. You're feeding off their energy. And um, no one's expecting you to do anything, so you might as well go out there and prove them wrong. You know, you use the term house money, and that's been a big topic on my show all week. Are the Jaguars playing with house money? Is the hot fudge already on top of the ice cream? And everything else now is the cherry and the whipped cream on top, just all the accoutrement, if you will. And look, you're the perfect guy to ask. In 1996, you guys were 4-7. and seven. You get into the playoffs on the final Sunday of the regular season because a Hall of Fame kicker in Morton Anderson misses a 31-yard field goal from the left hash. When you guys went to Buffalo wild card weekend, was the thought even in your mind that you were playing with house money at that point? Well, I, I'll give you this story. This story, I always tell people this scenario, this story, what happened because we were playing in Buffalo. Buffalo was 10-0 and in the playoffs at home. It had to be beaten in the playoffs at home in like oh, four or five years. And I remember the offensive line, we were hungry, and we went out to find us some chicken wings because Buffalo's known <laughs> for their chicken wings, all right? Yeah. So the whole offensive line goes out there, and we go in this, we're going to this wing place, and we're, we're trying to assemble how we're going to block this guy, this formation, this, this scheme, this, or this and, and we're not enjoying our food. Uh, by the way, so because we're we're all we're all into how we're going to uh, block this defense, and I remember Dave Waddell said, "Man, the hell with all that, man. Let's just go out there and punch him in the mouth, and let's see what happens." And it just changed our whole narrative about the game. It was just going we was going to make this game a physical, as physical as possible. We were going to play tenacious. We're going to be the most physical team. We're going to be the most disciplined team. And let's just see what happens. And, and that that carried weight with us moving forward. We just said, let's go out there and just punch them in the mouth. No one's expecting us to win. The, they've got us uh, a double-digit underdogs. The whole Buffalo fans base will be against us. Buff, the Bills Mafia will be against us. You know, they had a couple of guys on the, the Buffalo Bills team that said stuff about, Hey, we don't even know any of the guys on the Jaguar team. Who is this Jaguar team that's coming here and here to be? So, listen, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm saying that you're playing with house money. You know, no one's expecting you to, to make hay or, or to have any kind of effect on the playoffs. Let's see what happens if you do. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. Leon, as we begin to wrap up, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. They were not a factor in week three. Mack played the whole game, did very little. Bosa left after, I believe, the second series of the game with an injury. Both guys appear to be healthy coming in. How much of a challenge will that be for Walker Little, Jawan Taylor, and the rest of that offensive line? 
<clears throat> I think they're going to neutralize both, bro. I, 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 I do. I think they're going to they're going to have the clear cut advantage, all right, because uh, they're not going to have to deal with crowd noise. Um, and um, yeah, well, it's going to be pivotal that that they, they they do neutralize them. But they, I've watched them play as of late, and, and both bookend tackles have been playing pretty solid. And if you're Jawan Taylor, you want Joe, you want Bosa to play because it's going to help you get paid. You go out there and you block them and you give them a, a goose egg and you neutralize them in the passing game. It's going to help your stock uh, with this team with, with, a, with another team as you being a viable right tackle, a solid foundation at right tackle, a reliable right tackle. I mean, so he's got a lot to play for. Walker Little. I mean, you got Khalil Mack is a wily vet. Um, let's see let's see if you got the stuff. You know, put on your big boy pants. Let's see if you're worth the, the what, what, second pick. He was a second-round pick. Let's see if, you, you know, you're worth the stock that we invested in you. So um, I, I believe that they will. I think it's going to be essential. It's going to be essential for them to play well if we're going to have any opportunity to uh, uh, beat the San Diego, I mean, beat the Los Angeles Chargers. All right, Leon, leave us with this. Before we get your prediction, you played in three conference championship games. You played in a Super Bowl. What would your message be to this Jaguar team going into Saturday night? Don't change anything you've been doing. All right? Don't change anything you've been doing. Um, you, you, you've, you've got to create some wrinkles offensively because you struggled in the last couple of weeks, you know, putting points on the board. But you played this team before. You had success. Trevor's had success with this team. He's thrown three touchdowns against this team. We rushed for over 150 yards against this team. All right? Uh, we got after we got after Justin Herbert. We sacked him. Uh, we, we, he committed a turnover against us. So you've had success against this team. There's no reason why that if you continue to play that you the way you've been playing, that you shouldn't beat this team. Leon, who wins the game Saturday night? I believe the game is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a it's going to be uh, it's going to be jabs hit by both teams. Both teams are going to score uh, sporadically, but I think when it's all said and done, I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to beat the San, the Los Angeles Chargers twenty seven to twenty four. Wow, you think this city's on cloud nine right now? If they get the win on Saturday night and advance to the divisional round, good grief. Leon Searcy, you get him every day on XL Primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark, and you'll get him this weekend on a special edition of the fifth quarter with Dave Campo and myself two hours after the Jaguars and the Chargers go final. Leon, I will talk to you very early Sunday morning, and let's hope we're talking about a Jaguar playoff victory. Thank you, my friend. You got it. Let's do it. Always enjoy Leon Searcy joining us here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, look, I mean, I don't disagree with Leon. I've been going back and forth on this game all week. Back and forth. I'll be honest. I was leaning Chargers for a long time. And I still... And probably six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. It is a true toss-up to me. I do think the Mike Williams injury matters. And I, I brought up the reasons why. Because any person that covers the Chargers in the LA media and Charger fans on social media 
are up in arms about Mike Williams not being out there. To me, that means something. They think that means something, that injury. And so to that point, I think that might push me in the direction to maybe take the Jacksonville Jaguars. And what a place it would be, what a win it would be, what a situation we would have potentially next week if the Jaguars win going to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Let's go talk about Mike Williams. Let's talk about Justin Herbert and this Charger team and what exactly Mike Williams missing tomorrow night will mean for the Los Angeles Chargers. Nick Cothrell covers the Chargers out in L.A. for Charger Report, which is under the Sports Illustrated umbrella. We'll talk to Nick about all that next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday, the night before the AFC playoffs here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Friday evening. And we are glad you are with us. We are under 24 hours away from the Jaguars and the Chargers. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL with kickoff at 8.15 tomorrow night. Let's head out to Los Angeles, California. Let's talk to a man that covers the Los Angeles Chargers. His name is Nick Cothrell. You see him on ChargerReport.com, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Nick, how we doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Hey, Nick, always appreciate the time. All right, big news today. Mike Williams officially ruled out. There's certainly a lot of angles to this. Let's begin, though, with what it does tomorrow night. The loss of Mike Williams, Nick, how will this affect the Charger offense? Oh, it, it's catastrophic. Like, it, this is the guy that th- that they could not afford to lose when Brandon Staley decided to play his starters in that Week 18 game that had no implication on playoff seating. Mike Williams has been the Chargers' only downfield threat that has been able to beat teams down the field regularly. And without him, their offense is just going to move with this, you know, slow, methodical drive uh, because really, like, they, they just don't have any speed um, for guys to, to get to that deep part of the field. And without Mike Williams, you know, like, with my, when Mike Williams is active and healthy, they average over 3.5 more points per game and over 50 more points per game. And when Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are both active and play at least half of the snaps, which has only been four times this season – they're 4-0, and Justin Herbert leads the NFL in completion percentage. So the picture looks a lot different when he is not out there for sure, and this is just you know one of those unfortunate events that went south based on the risks that uh, Brandon Staley and the team took in that Week 18 game. Nick, I made the point, and I'm curious. I want to get to him playing the starters last week in a moment, but again, I'm viewing this from afar. You're there on a daily basis. I watched all of Brandon Staley's press conferences this week, and to me, almost more indicting, yeah, you play Mike Williams last week, he gets hurt, would I have done it? No, but, you know, things happen, whatever. To give Charger fans hope all week, to literally say yesterday that he's going to travel to Jacksonville, and then for Adam Schefter to tweet that out this afternoon that he's out, uh, boy, I I think – 
Staley did not do himself any favors all week and talking about this situation. What was your thought on that? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Even when Staley was saying that at the press conference yesterday and when Mike Williams was declared questionable, I, I still had my doubts. He had not been out there on the practice field. He had to get helped to the bus after the game on Sunday. Couldn't even walk on his own without assistance. And to to think a guy's going to be able to travel five days later or playing the, play a game six days later, I think it was just a lot to ask. And quite frankly, I, you know, I, I guess coaches don't exactly have to tell the truth at their press conference. They do on the injury reports. Uh, but I kind of, I kind of was calling his bluff. I, I really was unsure if, if, if that was going to be the reality. And sure enough, you know, here we are Friday morning and uh, they downgrade him to out and he's not going to travel. Nick Cothrell, ChargerReport.com, a part of Sports Illustrated, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Nick's Brandon Staley, the head coach out there, is getting crushed by Charger Media. I've seen some of your colleagues out there that have uh, – gone all in on Brandon Staley in the last couple of hours. Charger fans are just up in arms about this. Is the criticism warranted? Is it and is it just this decision or is this a cumulative effect? Oh, it's definitely warranted. You know, this isn't just a fourth down call that didn't, you know, that that didn't swing in, in favor of the team. This is a decision that, you know, I, I mean it they haven't been in the playoffs since, since 2018 and they, like this is a decision that not only impacts this game, but like let's even if the Chargers do do beat the Jaguars, it impacts the road ahead because Mike Williams could be out weeks even if they do advance. So it's it's even more than just like a singular game uh, picture, um, but just you know this is a franchise that ha- has won two playoff games in the last ten years and to and, and this season the injuries have just mounted week after week after week they've been one of the more injured teams in the league and Brandon Staley has done a good job and that effect of you know turning turning to the next guy and putting them in good position to succeed I think some of his game planning has been good but like this just personnel decision making has been very questionable and it ultimately came back to bite him you know Nick I'm telling people tonight here on 1010XL in Jacksonville look Mike Williams being out. The guy only had one catch for 15 yards back in September in week three. I know it's a big deal, like you said, but from a Jaguar point of view, don't forget, they still got Austin Eckler. They still got Keenan Allen. They still got Gerald Everett. They got other receivers like Palmer and, and, and Carter. I mean, there is still a ton of talent. Oh, by the way, you got a guy named Justin Herbert at quarterback. So, is um, I won't even call it a sigh of relief, but clearly a blow given to the Chargers to not have Mike Williams. But there is no doubt there is still a ton of talent on that offense. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a good point, and maybe some of that is is kind of getting lost in the shuffle here, right? Like Austin Eckler ha, has had, aside from just what he does as a rusher, he's had over a hundred receptions this season, so he's very capable of of, you know, easing, easing the load in the, in the passing game, if, if they need to turn to him and what Keenan Allen's been able to do after, after missing the first half of the season with that hamstring injury, he's looked like him, his normal self. He hasn't uh, scored a whole lot. He did have the two touchdowns last week, but prior to that, he's really just kind of been like the third down chain mover, um, which, you know, that he's going to be the guy that they're going to, turn to early and often in this game um, just based on, you know, n- not having uh, 
Mike Williams, really their, their field stretcher. But like you mentioned, Joshua Palmer, he's been a guy who has had to kind of step into like this number two role. There's been some instances this year where Mike Williams and Keenan Allen were both out at the same time. And Joshua Palmer had to step into that number one role. So, you know, he's, he, he still doesn't quite provide the value of those other two guys. There's, there's no disputing that, but at the very least, I guess from the Chargers perspective, Joshua Palmer is a guy that has, you know, had to be penciled in to, th- to this kind of, you know, magnitude of, of his role that he has to take on. So I guess that's what, that's, that's one, one area that they kind of do have going for them. A couple of more for Nick Cothrell, chargerreport.com, which is a part of Sports Illustrated out there in the city of Los Angeles. Nick, week three was forever ago, admittedly. Although going back and watching that game and watching specifically the Jaguar offense against the Charger defense. And look, I understand Bosa only played 13 plays, and you could argue he's the best player on the Charger defense. But the one thing that I noticed, and again, I don't know how much you can take away from this, but that was Asante Samuel. That was Khalil Mack, Derwin James, Kenneth Murray. I mean, Kyle Van yeah. Hoy. Those were the Charger defensive guys in week three that had issues against the run. And when they brought seven or eight guys in the box, that allowed Trevor to go downfield more. I mean, how much of a concern, how much have they solidified that run defense going into tomorrow night? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, Joey Bosa was was the only guy in defense that they lost in that game. They they still had their other guys. You, you know, the, de- the, the stopping the run has really been up and down for this team all season. It, it, it's really crazy because, like, the first three quarters of the year, they were just getting, I mean, demolished. They they were bottom five again in, in stopping the run. And then as they began to get healthier, guys had more more time in Brandon Staley's scheme. You know, they – they overhauled half the defensive unit, half half the stars on defense were, were brought in last offseason. So I think more familiarity um, really helped. But from weeks 14 to 17, they all of a sudden became one of the better teams in stopping the run. Last week against the Broncos, they kind of they kind of came back to reality a little bit and regressed. Uh, so it's really hard to to pinpoint just what kind of run defense we're gonna we're gonna see this week. But uh, that has been an area that that has plagued them and particularly you know, they, they were susceptible to, to some of these chunk plays. Like it felt like early on in the year, there was always one or two runs that a team would just rip off for like 50, 60 yards. And, you know, that, that, would, that would skew the stat line, but at the same time, like you're still allowing it. And, you know, some of those are going for touchdowns. So it will be interesting to see just kind of what version of this Chargers defense, are they going to, you know, come out more fired up, you know, based on, you know, lo- losing their guy, Mike Williams, or just, you know, how are they going to kind of respond to that? You know, Nick, and as we begin to wrap up, there's no doubt Trevor Lawrence has been very good. Although when you put pressure on him, his numbers statistically go down in a big way. I mean, would you imagine the idea for the Charger defense tomorrow night is if they're not getting home with four to change the game plan and blitz pretty quickly there? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I also think that you could see. I'm not sure if you caught the Chargers uh, Dolphins game, um, the the Herbert Tua Bowl, and the way that that the defense kind of kind of went about kind of went about things in that game, where they were like just trying to jam the guys at the line of scrimmage, um, making making Tua hold on to the ball. I think that's going to be something they try to do this game. Um, as you're, I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware, Trevor Lawrence gets the ball out really fast which 
really just limits the, these pass rushers, and that's what the Chargers defense does best, right? They got Khalil Mack, they got Joey Bosa, Calvin Noyes had a sack in five consecutive games, so they have guys to to pressure the quarterback. They just got to make sure that Lawrence isn't getting the ball out. So I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of like press um, on the outside to to try and make him hold on to the ball. Um, but during during the, uh, the the back half of the season, they, they did start blitzing more than they did early on. So that could be something they resort to as well. But I think I think there I, I think there is going to be a little more pressure on Trevor Lawrence this time than uh, than what happened in week three. Nick Cothrell of ChargerReport.com. Nick, final question. I've been going back and forth all week, man. I'm not one of these typical local media guys that's going to pick the Jaguars every week. Fans will tell you that I very rarely do that, and I've been wrong a lot the last six weeks. I can't believe the Jaguars went from 3-7 and to now (laughs) 9-8 and and hosting their first primetime home playoff game in the 28-year franchise history. I mean, that's amazing. And, and yeah. I'm not sure if the Chargers are not going to win the game. I was leaning towards them till the Mike Williams news came out. Now I'm really struggling. What is the take out there from you, your colleagues? I see a lot of fans on Twitter. Now, before Mike Williams, Charger fans did not think much of the Jaguars. In fact, I saw some fans, and that's why they're fans, right? Rest Mike Williams and get him ready for Kansas City which I can assure you has gotten word back here to Duval County. There's no question about that. But what is the vibe on the Jaguars out there on the West Coast coming into tomorrow night? I would say my sense from, from the Chargers fan base was they, they were pretty optimistic before the Mike Williams thing. Like I told you, I even before this came out, I, I really did have my doubts that he was going to be able to play and as well as you know, some so, some of the other local local beat reporters, I would say the overall take is Mike Williams is the game changer, man. He like what what he's able to do for that offense and the value that, that he provides. Not having him out there, it it, it can't be emphasized enough. Um, I, ultimately, I, I'm I'm going with I'm going with the Jaguars by a field goal. I think it's gonna kind of be somewhat of a more uh, more of a low scoring game. I, I see the Jags winning 23-20. Um, and I, I really, I think it just boils down to not having Mike Williams out there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it went the other way. I think it's going to come down to the very end, but not having him out there, I think that just caps the offense just enough for the where the Jaguars are going to be able to come out on top. Does Brandon Staley lose his job if the Chargers lose tomorrow night? Yeah, I know there's, I know there's a lot of talk about that, and you know, it, it it's it's tough, right? Because he, he did get the team to the playoffs, but like, is that, is that enough when the franchise spent more money in free agency than they ever have under Tom Telesco's 10 years at the helm and ba- based on how they went into the playoffs and, and, and managing the personnel in that week 18 game, that's a lot. But at the same time, so clearly somebody, if they lose, someone's probably going to end up taking the fall. Is it going to be Brandon Saley? Is it going to be Tom Telesco? That'll be a wait and see, but you know, one thing that that I do want to point out is like Tom Telesco has been there for 10 years now and they've never won the division. They have two playoff wins and he's already hired three head coaches. So I, I don't think that's kind of getting um, a lot of people are, are going after Brandon. I think there is a chance that possibly Tom Telesco takes the fall. You know, is the organization going to let him hire a, a fourth head coach? Do they both go? I don't know. It, it feels it, 
it feels kind of difficult to really have a strong pulse on this, especially this is an organization that gave Anthony Lynn four years. And, you know, they're really not someone that, that pulls the plug on a, on a coach, you know, very quickly. And I, I guess you can say they have commitment to these guys, but you know, what Brandon Staley did really just didn't make much sense. Um, I, I, it's going to be tough to tell. I think we really need to see what exactly happens in this game before kind of having a, a definitive opinion on just which direction they're going to go. I know this. You got Justin Herbert, you got that offense, and you got a guy named Sean Payton that's available. Yep. That would be uh, awfully interesting if that yes, is the road would. that has ultimately gone down. Nick Cothrell, ChargerReport.com, out there in the city of Los Angeles. Nick, appreciate the time here on a Friday on short notice, brother. Thank you very much. Let's have a great game tomorrow night, and may the best team win. Yeah, enjoy the game, Ryan. Thanks for having me. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. We are at halftime on Hacker After Dark. One hour down, one hour to go. We're taking you up till 10 o'clock tonight, and we are glad you are with us. As always, Jacksonville, you can stream the show on YouTube. Just search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there streaming until 10 o'clock this evening. Former Jaguar offensive tackle Todd Fordham coming up about 10 minutes from now, and we'll crunch the numbers with my man Ben Lindsay, pro football focus. You guys know I love PFF.com. Ben Lindsay at the bottom of the hour. All right, Denmark. So this was the situation this morning. So for Christmas, I got a brand new toothbrush. Okay. Le- right? Electric or just, just regular? Oh, I'm getting there. Okay. Oh, I'm okay. getting there. All right, all right, all right. Brand all right. new toothbrush. Now, I'm the kind of guy, you know, I, I enjoy a good toothbrush. I enjoy brushing my teeth on a uh, twice-a-day basis. Avoid cavities and whatnot. It's a big part of what I do. Uh, but I've never really given much thought to said toothbrush. I knew I needed a new one probably hoping for an electric one of some variety. So my wife got me a toothbrush. Okay. Great. All right. So I get it out of the box this morning, and it's one of those that you have to charge. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is weird to me, but that's a separate story. So here I am charging my electric toothbrush. This is where it got derailed, and this is where I had to call Heidi in to explain to me what was going on. <laughs> Now, thankfully, I have a wife that's six years younger than me, so she can stay up to date on all the hip, cool things. I am the oldest 39-year-old on the planet, will turn 40 this year, which is when I guess I will officially become an old man. So I go into the bathroom, toothbrush is charging, get it off the charger. Before I can use said toothbrush, Denmark, it's asking me if I want the language to be in English. (laughs) All right. So it's asking me if I want the language to be in English. Then it's asking me to set the timer on the toothbrush for how long I want to brush every time. And I have to set up my toothbrush. Can I ask how how much this toothbrush weighs? I, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. To me, a toothbrush is 99 cents at any drugstore on the corner in this country. Yeah. I have never in my life, never in my wildest dreams, 
been asked by my toothbrush, do I want the language to be in English, to set the timer for how long I want to brush every session? And what this toothbrush also does is it has a sad face (laughs) until you reach the timer that you set for it, at which point it then becomes a happy face. So does the toothbrush also give you an alarm for when you should brush your teeth later in the day? Does not. I, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, these are all questions that we need to know. It does. Now, again, I should not be surprised by this. We have salt and pepper shakers at our house that need to be charged. Wow. I have a trash can that you literally have to wave your hand over and then the lid pops open. I'm a simple guy with simple taste. Doesn't sound a, like it. Does not sound no, like this it. Is no, none of this is me, man. None of this is me. I'll take a 99-cent salt and pepper shaker and not think anything of it. Give me any trash can on planet Earth. I'm good to go. And I guess technically I'm in the millennial crowd, which I didn't know. I'm on the very outskirts of the millennial crowd. But my wife is right in the middle of the millennials. Denmark, I don't even know what you are. You're not a millennial, are you? No, I'm like a Gen, Gen Z. Z or yeah, I was born yeah. in 98. All right, well, Heidi was born... Six years after you, so I was yeah, 89. I was, I was, yeah, I don't want I, I to you know, get in trouble here. Just know that she's six years younger than me. I told you my age earlier, so do a little math. You'll find out my wife's age. Yeah. But she's right in the middle, man. Right in the middle of the millennial. And when you buy a toothbrush that you need to program... That just caught me off guard a little bit. Caught me off guard. Didn't know if that was a common thing or not. However, the toothbrushing experience this morning was very pleasant. It really got in there. I really enjoyed it. The mouth felt clean afterwards, which is always a good thing. Former Jaguar offensive tackle Todd Fordham. Ben Lindsay, profootballfocus.com as we crunch the numbers. Jacksonville, we got a lot to do. Here in the 9 o'clock hour, we're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us. Officially now inside of 24 hours before the Jaguars and the Chargers. Tomorrow night at 8.15, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Former Jaguar, former Florida State Seminole, Todd Fordham, next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers, Saturday night, 8-15. You'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. It'll be the first night game in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars played here in Duval County. Let's talk to a man that knows all about big-time football games in that stadium. His name is Todd Fordham, former Jacksonville Jaguar, of course, a former Florida State Seminole as well. Todd, how we doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, excited about the Jags and what they can uh, they can do this weekend. Boy, Todd, I'll tell you, I, I'm curious, a former player like yourself, a lot of excitement in this city. You know what it's like when this city is going nuts for the Jaguars. Back in the late 90s, that was all the rage, and we're kind of getting, you know, a scent of that again here in the year 2022. We are. You know, it's uh, it's exciting. Um, the, there's a lot of excitement around the town, a lot of people talking about it, and that's when it's that's when it's fun. You know, Jacksonville loves football. They love uh, they love to win, like like we all do, and uh, so we're seeing that excitement. And I'm I'm excited to what this team can do. You know, Todd, you played for obviously some unbelievable 
head football coaches. Bobby Bowden, I mean, what else really needs to be said? He also played for Tom Coughlin here in, in Jacksonville. And, you know, Doug Peterson comes in, inherited just a terrible situation from the way it was left last year. And, you know, early November, this team's 3-7, and seven, Todd, and looks like they're going nowhere. And, my goodness, man, from 3-7 and seven to 9-8 and eight to division champions and now hosting a primetime playoff game Saturday night. I mean, your thoughts on the job Doug Peterson has done. I think Doug's done a great job. I think, um, you know, that whole coaching staff and, and, you know, the key, the key to a successful team starts in the locker room. And I, I think that they, uh, they got some really good guys in there that are believing in the situation, uh, believing in what, uh, Doug's putting in front of them from a game plan standpoint. And they've, uh, they just continue down the process and continue to get better every week. Didn't, uh, didn't let the negatives uh, overrule the positives, and they've just built a little bit every week and gotten better every week. And I think that's the that's the reason you're seeing success is they're believing in each other, they're believing in their team. And I tell people all the time, you know, it's it's so easy to lose in the NFL and so hard to win, but once you get to winning, and once you start that momentum and kind of get over the hill, if you will, then just like losing games, then it becomes easier to win games at the end of the day you know, end of the game, end of the day, and you find a way to win those close games, and that's what it's all about. you got to win the close games, especially in these playoffs. Former Jaguar offensive lineman Todd Fordham here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Todd, he used the word belief, and head coach Dave Campo, who we have on several times a week here on 1010XL, used that same word, belief. And look, whether, you know, team of destiny, and I don't even really like that term, but Whatever you want to call it, there's no question some odd things have happened here in the last couple of weeks. From the Jaguars going for two in the win and getting it against Baltimore to going to Nashville for the first time in nine years and beating Tennessee in Nashville. Then they're down 27-10 to Dallas, and they come back and win that game on a pick six in overtime. And then last Saturday, losing with three minutes to go, the offense struggling, and lo and behold, the defense makes a play where Rayshon Jenkins trips the ball, Josh Allen scoops it and scores it for, to knock the Titans out and to win the division. I mean, the word belief is an interesting one because there's no question, even trailing a lot in bad circumstances, the Jaguars are finding ways to win these games. They are, and, and you know, and that's, I really believe myself that the word belief is a big deal in that locker room. I mean, you got to believe in those guys. You got to believe in what your your the the game plan you have. You got to believe that you're going to win, that things are going to go right, and and you got to think positive. And that's that's what it's all about. It's about you know the belief in the locker room, belief in your system, what you're doing, and that you're going to find a way to to win. And um, you know, in the last couple of years, we've struggled with that. We get to a tight situation, and it's almost like we have kind of thought we were going to lose. And then now you're starting to see them turn the corner and they believe in themselves. They believe in what they're doing and they find, they find ways to win. And that's what good teams do. You know, you get to uh, these big games and uh, the players that are supposed to make the big time plays, they make the plays and um, you find ways to, to win and you continue, you continue to build positives and you, you gain momentum from that. And, and it's such a big game of, of momentum and, once you get that and get it going in the right direction, it doesn't matter what it is you're up against in that game. You always feel like and believe that you're going to find that way to win, and that's what that's what we're seeing now. You played with Mark Brunell when he was in his prime 
here in Jacksonville. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence now 23 years old, still young, but playing at a very high level. Todd, what is it like to have a quarterback like that in that locker room where you know that that he could probably get you to the promised land if, if he plays the way he can? Yeah, and, and I think that's huge, especially in t- today's game more so than even when I was playing. Today's game, you know, you got to have a quarterback that, that can make the plays, that can, can get you out of situations. Because, you know, that no matter who you're playing, that, that group on the other side is pretty good too. And um, when when Trevor walks in, and, and I don't know, I mean, I've never been into a, in a huddle with him, but I can see the way he's playing, the way he's walking around with confidence. And um, that when he walks in that huddle, you know, those guys believe that he can, he can make the plays that he needs to make and put them in the situations they need to be in. And that's huge. I mean, you got to believe in that guy. He's got to be able to make plays, and you got to know he can make plays. And I think we're seeing that out, out of Trevor. And, hey, he's still young. He's still going to make mistakes. But he's not letting the mistakes stop him from the next drive, you know. And uh, so I, I, I really like the growth that he's had this year. I think the, they put the coaches around him that, that helped build that growth and build that confidence, and, and he feels confident in his game plan and what he's able to do. And then it's obviously he's got the talent. And now he's just putting that all together, and, and we're going to see him continue to grow and get better as uh, just as we thought he would. One of the things I love about Trevor, too, is he's not stupid. I don't know if you saw the video. He got all the offensive linemen, the starters, the backups, even the guys on the practice squad, all his big old linemen, all these just beautiful watches for the holidays. And uh, you got to keep you guys happy, Todd. There's no question about that. And Trevor, I think, certainly understands that point of it. There's no doubt. You got to keep the big boys happy and get, uh, you know, give them something nice every once in a while. They usually don't get a lot of a uh, lot of praise for for doing their dirty work. And uh, but you know those guys have come together and played hard this year, and I think they're uh, they're starting to gel together. And that's a big part of being successful on offense is you got to have O linemen that believe in each other and then play well uh, beside each other. And I know we've had some injuries and stuff, but we're still being able to plug and play and and. They, uh, they believe in the, the system, and they're playing with a lot of confidence and get their running game going and, and let Trevor do what he does, and I think we're going to continue to see pro- progress as we go. You And it's a good point. Again, Todd Fordham here with us. I'm sure you can relate to Walker Little because you were a guy that when injuries happened, you had to come right in there and play whether you were warmed up or not. It was go time for Todd Fordham, and same thing with Walker Little. I mean, Cam Robinson goes down a couple of weeks ago, and – all right, you don't get a 30-minute warm-up period, you're in. And Walker Little, the last couple of weeks, has played very well under the circumstances. So we certainly hope for a speedy recovery for Cam. But whether it's Walker on the left side or Jawan Taylor at the right side, those two offensive tackles have played pretty well. Yeah, and they got to. I mean, and and I think they're doing good. And I think, uh, you know, I give uh, Walker a lot of credit, you know, coming in and uh, playing, playing, you know, when you come in the first time, you're cold and you, and you got it. It doesn't matter. You still got to do your job and you got to be, you know, just plug that guy in and he's got to be able to pick up and go. And then obviously we're going to see him continue to get better as he gets reps and um, is able to prepare, you know, a full week, uh, you know, being ready for that guy and stuff. So I think we'll continue to see Walker get better, but that's, that's the key. And I, you know, and I, I don't know all those guys personally, but I, I've, you know, kept up with them and read a lot about them and watch those guys. And I think the young center's playing well. I think he's a smart kid and, and doing a lot of really good things. And, I, you know, those two tackles in, in today's game, you, you've got to play sound ball on the, on the edges to be able to be successful as much as we throw the ball and, and being able to run block too. So 
I uh, I really have liked what I've seen out of those guys and the growth, and I think it's uh, it's showing on the field when you're winning in uh, tight games. When it gets to the end, you need a drive. You need to get down and at least get a field goal and win. We've seen that, and those guys have done their job. Final moments here with former Jaguar offensive lineman Todd Fordham. All right, Todd, you came right into the league, 97, 98, 99, playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. So you've been a part of a lot of playoff games. For the Jaguars on Saturday, I believe the number is 38 out of the 53 guys have never played in a playoff game. You could argue last Saturday was a playoff game, so everybody got a little experience. It was winning in, losing, you're probably going home. But officially, when the playoffs start on Saturday, not a lot of Jaguars have played in the postseason. What advice would you give to them? You know, at the end of the day, it, it's still a football game, still played on the same field. Obviously, the stakes are a little bit higher. The, you know, you, the crowd's going to be into it. You know it's a bigger game, so so don't try to fool yourself. It's a, it's a bigger game. The stakes are larger. I really like the fact that they had to play in that Tennessee game the other night, and, and it being a high-stakes game, you know, they the only way you control your own destiny is to win that game. And I think that was a, that was a great start to the season or to the playoffs for them because I think they needed that. It's, it's a young team. It's a team that needs to be playing in high-state games. If you look at even just being the high-state games, as much as it is in the NFL every week, there's nothing like that playoff atmosphere, the stadium going crazy. You know you got to win that game. And I think that that's going to really help them as they go into this next game because they've, they've already been in that big, big game, if you will, uh, where a lot of them hadn't been in, on that big stage. So I think that'll bode well for them as as they move forward. And uh, but every week, hey, it gets a little bit a little bit higher, a little <laughs> a little bit bigger game. And so you got to prepare yourself and don't fool yourself. It's a big game, and and it's played by fourteen teams right now are in it. And uh, every week, this is a little less. And for you to keep going, you got to be able to make the plays, and you can't you can't let the pressure get to you. But at the same time, you got to know, and you got to you got to up your level of preparation and be ready because you can bet the team on the other side they're just as good because they're in the playoffs too and you're not you're not in the playoffs unless you've done what you needed to do chargers and the jaguars saturday night 8 15 the game will be heard right here on 10 10 xl of course before todd fordham was a jacksonville jaguar you played for the great bobby bowden there at florida state and boy todd florida state mike norvell what a turnaround this past year 10 and 3 a lot of the guys including jordan travis Coming back, I've seen early prognostications that Florida State might be a preseason top 10 team when the season rolls around and the preseason magazines start coming out. I imagine you as a, an alum there, you got to be very excited what you're seeing in Tallahassee. I am. I'm excited at what Norvell's done with that team. And, uh, you know, a little bit like the Jaguars, I mean, there was there was some problems when he came in and he's had to turn that roster upside down and around. And, and I think he's done that. And I think Probably the thing that makes me the most excited about this is he's done done well in recruiting. You know, he's getting the pieces he needs to get. He's used the portal to, to fill some gaps that he's got to, got to fill. But the thing that makes me the most excited is you got guys that have a chance to go to the NFL. And to see those guys come back and want to finish what they started, that tells you a lot about what Norvell's doing in that locker room and what he's building in that team. And I think if you build that and you build the foundation the right way and you got those other guys coming back saying, hey, we want to finish what we started, now you're really building something. You're building, you're building back that tradition. You're building back the camaraderie in that locker room. And that's when you start seeing success. The, only, the teams that I've been on 
that have been successful throughout my career were always teams that had a great locker room and had a lot of camaraderie and a lot of belief in that locker room. And I think that's what we're seeing, and that's what Norvell's done. And I, I do. I look forward to uh, this year coming up with, with the Seminoles because I think they have a really good leader out of Jordan Travis that, that can do a lot of things. And, and that team believes in him and believes what he's doing. And I think we're going to see some more success this year. About to say, if you struggled as a football fan, think about Fordham. Between the Jaguars and the Knowles, Todd, it's been tough for you for almost a decade. But it looks like both teams, Jacksonville and Florida State, certainly the arrow is pointing way, way up. Todd Fordham, always appreciate your time, brother. Thank you as always. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day and uh, go Jags. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chargers Saturday night, 8-15. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. As you guys know, I love to crunch the numbers here on 1010XL, and I love pro football focus. With that, let me go to my man Ben Lindsay of PFF, who's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, how we doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Ben, we're good. I don't know if the Jaguars could be doing much better here locally. <laughs> From three and seven, Ben, to nine and eight, an AFC South championship and hosting the first primetime game in Jacksonville, uh postseason game in franchise history. Uh Ben, let me ask you, man, from from your vantage point, how did the Jaguars do this? Yeah, I first off, I'm glad it's Jacksonville with the way that, that Tennessee sort of closed out the season. It would have been rough seeing them in a postseason game. I do think the Jaguars give you a more competitive um, sort of playoff team, and it's really because of what Lawrence has done over the back half of the year. And I think for sort of from midway through the season on, he's been one of our higher-graded quarterbacks, and you're really seeing him sort of trust the offense and – get the ball out in rhythm in Doug Peterson's offense. Schematically, they're doing a lot of good things um, as far as using bunches. They're really good against man coverage. You're seeing their their free agent signing step up and, and sort of all of that coming together and Lawrence trusting it and all of that meshing has made them a, a really fun offense. And then on the defensive side, pressure. They're, they're starting to get pressure. Um, Josh Allen's had a great year. Their pressure rate has gone up pretty steadily the last couple years. They're top five. Um, in the NFL right now uh, for the 2022 season. So I think sort of those two things are the big reason they've been able to make that second half push. Ben, when you talk about Trevor Lawrence, I mean, look, we see progression from quarterbacks from one year to the next, and that's that's usual. That's what we expect to see. Lawrence was a different quarterback in September and October than he has been the last two months. And I think it was the London game in Denver where he was bad, and he'll even admit as much he was bad from you guys at the PFF and, and the numbers that you guys look at, how has Lawrence improved from where he was first part of the year to where he is now? I think he's not not forcing as, as much. Um, it's sort of going back to, to what I was talking about with how they've made this push. He's getting the ball out more in rhythm, and I think the issues you saw in his rookie season and the early this year um, when he got into trouble, it was generally when he held onto the ball, when there was pressure, and he does a good job of of not taking sacks. Even even when he's not had his best games, he still doesn't take a ton of sacks. But he, he was kind of doing that at the expense of taking some chances that he shouldn't, throwing the ball into tight windows, um, 
uh, sort of forcing forcing some passes that were a little bit inaccurate. And he's cleaned that up. Um, I, I think that's probably the biggest area that, that he's improved down the stretch here. Ben Lindsay, ProFootballFocus.com. Ben, you can't underestimate Doug Peterson here either. I, I mean, you know, I don't think he'll win Coach of the Year because Brian Dable's in the New York market, and there's certainly some other very good candidates. But And maybe I'm biased here, Ben. I don't think a guy has done a better coaching job than Doug Peterson from what he inherited with the nonsense of Urban Meyer last year to starting 3-7 and seven and getting this team to the playoffs and winning just their fourth division title in franchise history. My gracious, what a job Doug Peterson has done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you honestly couldn't couldn't ask for much more in this first year with Peterson there. And I know there was there was some talk about Leftwich coming in this offseason, but if you look at what the Jaguars' offense has been this year, what Tampa's offense has been, um, it, it's it's difficult to say that Jacksonville didn't make the right decision with his hire, and it's, it's not a home run. And like I said, Peterson, the passing offense specifically, it, there's just so many more open throws for Lawrence, and part of that is they went out and signed – Signed some receiving talent with Kirk, with Zay Jones, with Evan Ingram, right? But at the time, really when they signed them, no one thought those were going to be really game changers. It's the combination of of those guys maybe outperforming some ex- expectations, but also just the offenses as a whole, um, creating more open windows for Lawrence uh, and sort of getting everything in rhythm. It's It's been um, really impressive in what, what Jacksonville wanted to see in that, that marriage uh, between quarterback and coach. You know, you talk about Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram, and I know I've had you on in the past talking about those three guys. I mean, Ben, normally you don't sign three free agents that come in and catch 230 passes for 2,700 yards, but that's what the Jaguars did. I mean, Kirk and Zay Jones, with both 80-plus catches, become the first wide receiver combo here in Jacksonville to do that since guys named Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell 20-plus years ago. I mean... It's incredible the production they're getting out of those three guys, right? Absolutely, and it's it's balanced too, um, right? It's not it's not like they brought in three guys and, and one guy sort of carrying the load. It's a pretty balanced attack, especially recently with Ingram kind of stepping up late in the year um, as far as the target share, and all of those guys have have sort of lived up to the billing. And Jacksonville was in a position last offseason where they had a chance to really improve. They had the number one overall pick. They had draft capital in general. They had a lot of free agents or cap space to go out in free agency and sign players like Kirk Jones Ingram, and, and it looks like they largely did did a good job. Um, it was sort of this offseason improving the roster, specifically with that receiving core. When the Jaguars are in eleven personnel and the five guys out there are Ingram, Jones, Jones, Kirk, and, and Etn, they're one of the best offenses in the league in terms of yards per play, EPA per play. It's been a really, really good group for them. A couple more for Ben Lindsay of ProFootballFocus.com. Ben, on the defensive side of the ball, I want to talk about a couple of guys, and I want to start with Tyson Campbell. I mean, look, we know the great young corners in the league, right? We know about Pat Sertan in Denver, and you're going to go on down the line. Obviously, Sauce Gardner got a lot of love in New York this year, and warranted. Those guys are unbelievably good, and I get it. Jacksonville's a small market, and we've had that conversation time and time again, but Tyson Campbell, to me, has been horribly underrated nationally. I think when you talk about the good young corners in this league, I think Benny has to be on that list. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think part of the issue or part of the reason that he's underrated a little bit is because the Jacksonville pass defense has still struggled at times as a whole. Um, but that's, it hasn't been Campbell's fault. He, he came out coming out of Georgia. He had that size and speed that you look for on the outside, but I've been really impressed with, with just sort of the feel he has in zone, um, coverages as well. And he's, he's sort of maybe not right quite at that level of some of these other younger guys or tan last year sauce this year, but he's sort of right up, right up there with them. And he's definitely looking like one of the better young corners in the league. Trayvon Walker doesn't have the sack numbers that, that fans look at that they ooh and awe about, but watching that game Saturday night against Tennessee, you want to talk about being a force on the edge and setting the edge and stopping Derrick Henry and putting pressure on the quarterback I mean, Trayvon Walker, to me, Ben, and I'm curious your thoughts, what he lacks in maybe the numbers on paper, well, he makes up for by just impacting the game. Yeah, with Walker, you can see it for sure. In certain reps, he's just – guys aren't going to be able to block him when when everything is firing. And that was the case a lot of the time in that Tennessee game. And I think the thing he's done a really good job of throughout the year is is sort of setting the edge on the run – if you're going to try to block him with a tight end, it's it's just not really going to work. And I think that's something that he can take advantage of in this Chargers matchup. Trey McKitty, Gerald Everett, two of the worst blocking tight ends in the league. Right, So if they're leaving them in, in line there to try to help um, with Trayvon Walker or block him, um, it, it, that's an area where you can see him make a few splash plays, a few tackles for loss in, in this matchup on Saturday. You know, I want to talk about the matchup. I want to end, though, with two other defensive guys because I'm curious your thoughts. Again, Ben Lindsay, pro football focus. Two of the older guys, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, they're like 27, 28 years old <laughs> on the Jaguar defense, and that's Rayshon Jenkins, who has made two, dare I say, franchise-altering plays, right? The pick six to beat Dallas and what he did uh, on Josh Dobbs on Saturday night to win the game for the Jaguars. And then Foye Ben tackles everything that moves. It's unbelievable how good he's been in this Jaguar defense. And that's what that's what they signed him for in free agency. He's, he's a very good athlete. He has that range. And he's sort of going to be around the ball a lot of the time. Um, and he's done the same thing that he did in Atlanta last year. Right? He's, he's around the ball. Um, he flies around the field. And he's racking up a lot of tackles. So in, in terms of sort of what they went out to sign him to do, he's delivered. And the same, I know Jenkins wasn't last year, but uh, same can be said for him, right? He'll he'll come downhill. Uh, he, he'll make plays in the run game. He'll make plays in coverage like you saw on that, that pick six against the Cowboys. Um, two guys who they did give a lot of money to in free agency, but – key key pieces of their defense and sort of their defensive turnaround and, and the arrow pointing up. All right, Ben, amazingly on Saturday night, it'll be the first night game, postseason game in the history of this franchise. 28 years. They've never had a playoff game in prime time here in Jacksonville. That will change on Saturday night, and it's Justin Herbert against Trevor Lawrence. I'm probably biased, but I think it's the best game of Super Wild Card Weekend. You know, what are your thoughts heading into this matchup? Yeah, it's it's two of the most exciting young quarterbacks in the league, and it, it should be one of the the more even matchups probably. Um, I, I do think that the Jacksonville does have some some clear edges, right? and I think Lawrence, when you look at everything, it's sort of the big picture has 
the better supporting cast in place uh, heading into this matchup with, because of the reasons we talked about with the pieces they added, the coaching. Um, that's the main issue with the, this Chargers team when you look at it. They've had some injuries uh, to, to key guys like Rayshon Slater, like their wide receivers. It, Mike Williams is forced to miss because of sort of his back spasms that, that flared up last week. That's going to be a big loss for them. We've seen them struggle at times when, when their top receivers, both him and Keenan Allen, have been out. Um, so I think there's there's definitely things pointing in the Jaguars' favor, but it should be an exciting game. Ben, and when you're talking to Jaguar fans here tonight, the ones that are going to the game, the ones that will watch it, obviously this town, as you can imagine, is just Jaguar euphoria right now. What are the one or two things that the Jaguars need to do to beat the Los Angeles Chargers? I think the first thing is they need to protect Lawrence. Um, and, and that the Chargers really haven't had a, a consistent pass rush all year. And a big part of that is that they've missed Bosa for, for all but four games when he's healthy and he's out there. And I think he's probably going to play. I know his, he sort of left early last week, but I would expect him to play in this game. He still looks like one of the, the best edge rushers in the NFL. And, and Jawan Taylor has played well in pass protection. Walker Little has shown promise, but those guys are going to have to hold up. Because the one area that Lawrence, is, some of his numbers do dip a bit is, is when pressure gets home. Um, so I think holding up against Bosa is, is a big thing. And then just making sure they come up and tackle on defense, right? Not giving the Chargers free yards because a lot of the Chargers passing offense is quick game. Austin Eckler is, is basically their number one target um, out of the backfield at running back. So making sure you don't give them free yards and you wrap up is probably key on defense. Ben Lindsay, profootballfocus.com. Ben, not that I'm going to hold you to it, but uh, what do you think Saturday night? Who wins the game? I think Jaguars. I, I think the Jaguars have it. I, ETN should be able to get to the outside against a Chargers run defense that has struggled, uh, especially on runs outside the tackles. Like I said, I think Lawrence has has the better supporting group, and he's playing as well as anyone down the stretch. So I think Jaguars in a in a close game. You guys know how I feel about PFF. I love it. We always enjoy Ben Lindsay at Pro Football Focus. We're hopping on here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Ben, appreciate the time, man. We'll hope for a good game Saturday night. And if the Jaguars keep winning, we might dial your phone again. Thank you, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to my friend Ben Lindsay, ProFootballFocus.com, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as we are now well inside of 24 hours away from the Jaguars and the Chargers. Tomorrow night in the AFC playoffs, the first home playoff game in five years, only the fifth home playoff game here in Jacksonville all time, and of course the very first home primetime playoff game. It is going to be some scene down there at TIAA Bank Field tomorrow night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here. On 1010XL, our pregame coverage will kick off around 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. We will have a special edition of the fifth quarter as well, and I hope we are talking about a win. Leon Searcy, the head coach Dave Campo, and myself, two hours after the Jaguars and the Chargers go final, we are expecting to join you right around 1 a.m. Sunday morning, and if the Jaguars do win that game. <laughs> what a fifth quarter it should be. As for myself, before we sign off officially, 
I have been going back and forth on this game all week. I do not feel as good about this game as I did last week against Tennessee. I will tell you that. Having said that, the Mike Williams injury, I do think, is a big deal. I was going to pick the Chargers. I honestly was. But the Mike Williams injury has swayed me. I like Jacksonville 24-23. How about a game-winning Riley Patterson field goal? I think the Jaguars, without Mike Williams, with the Chargers, I think the Jaguars find a way to get it done and advance to the divisional round of the AFC playoffs. That'll just about do it for what has been a very busy night and an unbelievably busy but fun week here on Hacker After Dark. Again, thank you to Ben Lindsay, ProFootballFocus.com. Thank you to former Jaguar Todd Fordham for joining us tonight. Always enjoy the conversation with Todd, of course, the former Jaguar and the former Florida State Seminole. Nick Cothrell, ChargerReport.com, part of Sports Illustrated. Enjoyed Nick's perspective. Thank you to him on short notice for coming on to give us the insight on the Mike Williams injury. And, of course, my man, Leon Searcy, you heard back in hour number one, always enjoy talking ball and previewing playoff matchups with my man, Big Leon Searcy. Jacksonville, have an absolutely terrific weekend. We've enjoyed it all week here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green in Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday. Have a great Saturday, and we will talk to you on 1010XL with pregame coverage beginning tomorrow afternoon, finishing up with what I hope is a victorious fifth quarter program early Sunday morning. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.